This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. We can't escape coverage about the coronavirus these days. It's impacted all aspects of our lives and our sport, and many of us are rightfully nervous about what the future may hold. Well, we can't change the facts, and we should act in accordance with the best recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization. What we can control is the way we view it and how we adjust. So much about the COVID-19 pandemic is unknown and developing rapidly. For example, this episode was produced from March 16th through the 20th and used the most up-to-date information available at the time. Even then, I had to cut things out as information became out of date. The point of this episode is an attempt to provide levity, but also to continue forward a very serious conversation about what is clearly the most important topic of our times. For this episode, we collected four different viewpoints and four unique storytellers to show us how the outbreak has impacted just our microcosm of the world. We start with Bill Scheichen, host of Cyclocross Radio and Chapter One, No More Judgments. The most important and critical thing I think we need to address with the coronavirus, and this is somewhat satirical, so I know that we're going to get added by a few people because we're trying to be funny in a time of of crisis, is the word canceled. I've seen so many different potential spellings, and now I've gotten into grammar fights about canceled. Is this the two L's versus one L? Yeah, two L's versus one L. What I've come to learn is that both are correct. Yes. I checked Grammarly.com today, and it is a hangover of uh, Merriam-Webster and what Mr. Webster wanted as far as the English versus American spelling of things. So I think we can safely say that whether you spell it with one L or two Ls, you're saying the right thing. I, I used to be more... I, uh, concerned about these things. This is even going, this isn't virus related. This is years ago when I would be right up there with the biggest pedantic freaks out there with usage and spelling and everything else. And I want to credit Planet Fitness for moving me beyond that. Okay, so Planet Fitness, the gym. Correct. There's a story there. Please. Going through law school, we all knew that the way to spell judgment was J-U-D-G-M-E-N-T. That is the proper, appropriate, correct, only way to spell judgment. This is what you were taught. This was kicked into your head if you had Professor Groot for a criminal procedure. Judgment. No E in the middle. And you would see this out there with people spelling it with an E, J-U-D-G-E-M-E-N-T, and you were like, you have not been educated. You are a lower being. You do not know language. You do not know usage. You do not know style. And then a couple years ago in Ivy City in Washington, D.C., Planet Fitness opened a gym. It was a mile from my house, and I was like, I'm joining the gym going to go pump some iron, going to get swole. And I go in there and they have signs all over the place that Planet Fitness is a no, is a judgment-free zone. And they spell judgment with an E in their judgment-free zone. And I, and I felt like the computer in, in Star Trek that was given the unanswerable question and then just exploded. How am I supposed to deal with being judgment-free when the essence of the message is wrong? Because judgment is misspelled. This is a test. This is a test from the gods for me personally. And I decided at that moment that I just would let people do what they wanted to do, and I would not judge them for it. And that's where I'm at. So if you want to put the extra L and canceled, I say go for it. And the answer to the ultimate question is, of course, 42. 
that it is. So you were with the garage races. You were one of the first people locally, at least, to be directly impacted by the coronavirus. For those that don't know, the garage races literally happen in a parking garage and somebody who used the building in Crystal City that the garage was attached to had a presumptive positive or actually did test positive and so the whole building got closed down. You made a decisive, quick decision to cancel the race, not postpone it, not think about it. You just said, nope, we're doing that. Why did you go down that path of saying, nope, this is it? Most of the events that are struggling with this are postponing. And I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to it. There's a lot of factors that go into this. If you postpone, you don't, and, and again, this is not a selfish thing from the organizers. This is just reality. If you postpone, you don't have to immediately return everybody's registration fees. And as a race organizer, you already have sunk costs. Personally, for me, the biggest one was insurance. You know, I have thousands of dollars, many thousands of dollars that I pay for insurance for the garage races. If you talk to insurance companies, and as I have with mine, they're not giving you that money back because that cancellation for this issue, for this pandemic isn't covered as a reason you can cancel in 99% of insurance agreements. It wasn't in mine, as I now learned. So that's, I think, why we see a lot of postponements, you know, sunk costs like that. It's really, it's, it's a scary thing as a promoter to say, oh, shoot, I need to give back. You know, you're looking at some of these bigger gravel events. I need to give back $100,000, where I already have all of these things, you know, think of all of the resources you have to rent and you have to get port johns everything else that you've already signed those contracts. Many of that, you're not getting that money back. So I understand that. I was in a situation where I have a great partner in Crystal City that works with me that they provide a management fee. There was, there was, there was wiggle room out there. I'm not saying that you know, this is still a loss for me, but it, it made sense to me that I was in a position where I could say, hey, I don't want people who, who signed up for this event to worry about that money. And I just, I hope to reschedule. I want to have this event when everybody is safe and we're able to do it. But at the same time, I didn't want to hold this registration fee that they paid over their heads. And I didn't want it either. I, I, didn't, I didn't want that on me. So I made the decision. I said, hey, we got bigger things to worry about. And I refunded everybody their money. I said, here's your money back. I hope that we have this again. When we do, sign up again and come on out and we're, we'll have a party and it'll be awesome. But at the same time, I, I just, I, I felt like that was the right call since we have these uncertain terms and, and who knows what am I going to like reschedule for July? I don't know what's happening in July. I don't know what's happening in August. I don't know. So let's just clean the slate and then we can come back and start over again. A lot of races, especially some of the bigger ones have taken the postponed track, right? Which is good because they've been able to do it. You know, their municipalities, their permitting entities, for example, today, BWR, the Belgian Waffle Ride, huge event in Southern California in May, announced a postponement to November. Athens Twilight has announced a postponement to September. You know, these are enormous races, enormous endeavors. We're in this position, let's say, optimistically, we're back to racing by, I don't know, July. And we've got this truncated road mountain bike gravel season that starts to extend into cyclocross season. One of the things that you had talked about the last time that we did an interview was how the governing bodies that they be have uh, timing problems because you've got serious overlap between mountain bike and cross, or you've got serious overlap between cross and gravel or anything like that. 
now we're really in a world where everybody's racing every discipline all at the same time. How is that going to even work? It's going to be fun, isn't it? It'll be chaos, which I think is what bike racing specializes at, and it makes it interesting. Here's Here's the way I look at this. We are in a hopefully, hopefully once in a lifetime, if not generation moment here. If we have a fall that is chaotic, where all of these races are jammed together, we deal with it. And we just, and that's fine. If, if everybody can't go to everything, that's okay. It's going to be a choose your own adventure for races. It's going to be coverage on top of coverage. That's a better option than not having any races at all. And then we can move on to next season and everything will sort itself back out. So I, as, as things to get upset about, that doesn't upset me because that's that's that right there is boy if this is our problem this is pretty freaking awesome and let's deal with it because that means we're racing that means everybody's rescheduling that means that we're having a classic road classic on top of a world cup mountain bike race on top of a world cup cyclocross race so be it i just had an idea the koppenberg yeah. Have them both. Have them both on the same weekend. Well, isn't this the, I always get this wrong, but the UCI's festival of cycling that's supposed to be happening in a year or so where all of the world championships are happening somewhere in the UK, you know, and they all sort of come together and happen at the same time. We're just, we're just moving that up in the schedule. We could turn it into the Coachella of bike racing. Yeah. Let's step back for a second and we need to acknowledge something as random or petty or ridiculous or I'm not sure what the right superlative might be here. People have a right to be upset. Bike racers have a right to be upset because their lives have been interrupted for some period of time. I mean, my own personal, I was supposed to go to El Paso. I was supposed to go to Athens. I was supposed to go to a lot of races. And I spent the last six, seven months training for it. So I have a right somewhere deep down inside to go, oh, this stinks and I'm not happy about it. But I also need to be realistic that this is, like you said, hopefully a once in a lifetime or once in a multi-generation issue. How do we acknowledge that very real human emotion of upset alongside this, okay, big picture, this is bike racing compared to life and death? I think there's two things at work here. And I think it is perfectly reasonable to be upset with missing out on these races. I think that most of us who have raced bikes, I look at, at in my own racing in that I was a, you know, cat three in cyclocross that, you know, was always like, Oh, cat two just around the corner. And the stuff I did for that, even just, you know, racing on the road, doing whatever, spending, I looked at my weekends, you know, 80 miles on Saturday, 50 miles on Sunday, doing my intervals during the week. If I traveled, I had to have a bike, had to have a bike, had to go for the ride, had to get the training in. You are so in it. I completely understand. And then to have somebody say, hey, all this stuff that you're sacrificing, rightfully or not, family, work, everything else, income to go into stuff, now you can't do? Yes, that's totally normal to be upset about. And there's nothing wrong with it. And if you do that publicly, you shouldn't be shamed for it. You shouldn't have people saying, hey, you know, that's not important now. It's still mentally important. And that's okay. The thing that is on the other side of it is being so deep into that hole. And again, I can see going through this justification and this rationalization of putting yourself into a position where you are endangering others by your behavior. 
by saying, I don't care, I have to get this race. And, and we're beyond this now. We're beyond it. You know, there, if you're still doing a group ride at this point, you're just, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. It just should not be happening. Th- that's where I said, okay, th- there, there can be a little bit of, hey, let's not do this. And then if somebody gets upset about that, then that's a different conversation. But just being upset about not being able to do the things that give you joy in life, 100% reasonable. You can still be an empathetic person. You can still think about the greater good and be bummed out about missing out on stuff. I, I, that's, if, if people are upset or calling somebody selfish or or, you know, not focused on the bigger picture, I take issue with that because I, th- I think you are able to have that human emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. So you seized on an interesting topic, the, the, the group ride. Uh, USA Cycling, to its credit, has been proactive in saying, nope, no more permitted events, at least as of today, through the beginning of May. They've also given advice and had a webinar with a professional, a medical professional, saying no more group rides. Let's be reasonable and let's be pragmatic about it. And Bicycling Magazine even put out an article, or at least one article that I read about snot and spit on group rides early on during the crisis. And I think this is probably most eloquently stated by Ellen Noble, whose content during this time period has been incredible. So check her out on, you know, Instagram at least. Look at your sources. Make sure you are skeptical of your sources of information about what you are looking at and what the crisis is like, because we can trust the CDC. We can trust the World Health Organization. Can we trust different elements of the media? I'm not really sure, but there are specialists that you need to trust. There's also, from the bigger picture, some behavior going forward that I would like changed. What I saw in a lot of these postponements was similar to the non-apology apology, where somebody would say something horrible and then say, if what I uh, said offended you, I apologize for that. Putting the burden on the receiver of the message to A, be offended, and then sort of with the, you know, background message of, you know, lighten up, buddy. You shouldn't be offended by this. But if you were, wimpy guy, then I'm sorry. And I saw that in some of these postmodes. Hey, we understand if you don't want to come to our event, it's cool, wimp, but we're still going ahead with it. And, and I understand. And then it became almost, and this is, this is the bigger point, it was selfish versus selfless, where you were being told, hey, if you want to protect yourself and your family and be, quote, selfish in that way, we understand we're still having our event. Instead of what I saw as those people being selfless, they're saying, I am giving up something so that I can contribute to the greater good of not spreading this virus that spreads like wildfire. And that that going forward is something that I would love for organizers to be more empathetic about. That this, in the end, is fun and should be healthy. And this kind of arrogant machismo that we see coming out. And it's just not here. It's happened for years. Let's just push that aside. And let's just have fun events. And let's not pressure people. And if they have reasons, let's try to look at it as, a, as an organizer. Let's look at it from the other side and what people's motivations are. And again, just like the racer who's like, I am so deep in my training. All I see is like laser focused on that. I know as an organizer, you're just exact same thing, but it's the show must go on. The show must go on. And I get it. I get it 100%. And it's really, really hard to finally say, 
Yeah, the show shouldn't go on. As the voice of reason, or one of the voices of reason, what can you tell people, or what would you like to tell people, to just have them sit back and relax? First off, I think the time for getting angry at stuff that has already happened has passed. And there's no sense in it. I, I, I feel like, and I, I won't even dance around it, I, the Mid-South. I think that there, and I, I have very strong feelings about that event and that it was a wrong decision to go on. But the anger that persists over it to this day is, is wrong. It's, it's not helpful. I think that we are going to look back in a few months at this time where this seems like the biggest thing out there and feel kind of silly that, that this outrage still exists because we need to look forward. And we have a big struggle ahead of us. And it can't be based on getting pissed off at every little transgression. There's nothing that can be done about that. When this is all cleared up and we want to have that post-mortem, perfect. Let's do it. But for now, I think the biggest thing that people need to do is to stay positive. And this is a, a, a message for myself as much as for everyone else in that it does no good. I mean, I sit there and I look at Twitter every morning and I shouldn't. And it's a time of day where you're already feeling anxious because whatever with your, you know, natural chemicals, that's where you feel the most anxiety is when you wake up and then just start jumping on Twitter right there. Does, does you no good at all? I do it still. And then I have to sort of talk myself down from it. And, and it is a constant, a constant battle. But I do believe if we truly talk about the cycling community as this really great place that all of us outcasts and nerds and introverts have all come together to, 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 to be in one place and under one tent. Let's, let's, let's live that a little more instead of just getting pissed off at each other. That would be not very eloquently said, but my message. We've arrived at chapter two of today's episode. In this chapter, The Gravel Grinder, we speak with Zach Allison, someone who sits at a nexus of our sport, as a domestic pro with Cliff Bar, event promoter, and coach for Source Endurance, he is uniquely dialed into the impact of the virus on our community. We start with his role as an event director for the FOCO Fondo, a gravel event in his hometown of Fort Collins, Colorado, and the decision-making process that directors like himself need to engage in given our current landscape. I think there's two ways that I look at it. One of them being like a social responsibility to everyone in my community and everyone that travels to the event and then everyone beyond my community that the virus could potentially be transmitted to. I'm not going to have Boco Fondo if it's going to bring danger to potentially a, a community that someone is going to travel back to. And that's why a lot of these events are getting canceled. So even though Foco Fondo is a, a gravel event and it's somewhat racy, but it's still 50 to 60% of people that participate or register are not from Fort Collins, Colorado, where the event is held. So for the same reason that USA crits are getting canceled and USA cycling is suspending events. We just, I feel there's a social responsibility to everyone to do the best we can do to not transmit the virus anymore. And then the second thought process that I have is there's people way smarter than me that we're all meant to listen to that are telling us that, you know, it's going to probably be around eight weeks at this point. The CDC is recommending that we don't gather with groups of any more than 50 people. So you know, on one hand, it's there's a social responsibility. And then on the other hand, it's listening to people that I believe and trust providing me with information and best practices that are saying that um, these events should be canceled in the future. 
What about from the financial perspective? I know that it's hard to say or even think about finances when we're talking about life and death. And is is that where we should stop the conversation? Or as an event director who has to put money into an event in order for an event to survive, because permits cost money, marketing costs money, getting people ready costs money, and time is also a, has a money value. Is there something that we need to start thinking about from a financial perspective? If you have looked at these events that are canceled, or you even registered for an event that's canceled, you're going to get a partial refund. Or I hope that you get a partial refund. I would, I would provide a partial refund. Focal Fonda will provide a partial refund if we are canceled, which we um, have a little bit of time to make that decision still. But if you are asking why you don't get a 100% refund, you just answer that question. There's upfront costs, there's permits. We don't get any of that back. There's my time. A big reason why there's no, why there's less event promoters for just straight up USAC races anymore is that uh, they kind of had less and less participation and then the race directors are making less and less money and it's just not a viable living. It's not my only job. You just kind of described all the hats that I wear and I've had to differentiate. If I just said Foco Fondo, I wouldn't be making that much money. But so we're going to keep a portion of your entry fee to pay for a lot of the costs that we've already incurred. Um, we're not going to make any money at the end of the day on Foco Fondo being canceled. And unfortunately, neither does Safe Routes to School, which is the city program that teaches kids how to ride to school that we benefit with Boca Fondo. From my perspective, it is really unfortunate because we can showcase a lot of our local brands and showcase a lot of our local businesses at Boca Fondo and bring an event that people want to do. So canceling it from my end really does hurt and it does hurt my income. If your event's canceled because of a pandemic, you should probably understand that's a reasonable reason for an event to be canceled. And then if you get 60% of your money back and you're saying, hey, where's the rest? I can give you 100% refund and go into debt and not produce Foco Fondo next year. So let's take your Foco Fondo hat off and put your Cliff Bar hat on. You recently traveled from Fort Collins to Birmingham, only to arrive in Birmingham and have the USA Crits event canceled. Subsequent to that, we've had El Paso be postponed, Spartanburg be postponed. As a racer who also happens to be a coach, what can you tell people in order to kind of smooth the waters, calm them, remind them of what priorities are? I don't know if, I, if I'm necessarily known as a smoother um, <laughs> keeping people calm, but like we're talking about bike racing and you shouldn't be upset when this gets canceled for something that's going to kill potentially millions of people. Look at everything that's happening as far as projections. And it's like, it's amazing that it took so long to cancel Birmingham or that Oklahoma didn't go into a state of emergency until the day after Mid-South Gravel. I think we need to prioritize way more what is a pandemic that has halted the stock market from trading because it's just crashing. Like all the signs point to this being really, really bad. And you being upset you didn't get to go to your bike race seems really petty to me. Hopefully that calms someone down. But like we're all in the same boat. We're all susceptible to disease. So I think that our bike race being canceled is not something you should be upset about as much as thinking about how you're going to make it through the next eight weeks. Is there a realization on the part of everybody, or maybe is this the point in time that you remind everybody that the sun will come up tomorrow and that life will continue to go on and that bike racing and the rest of reality will return to whatever state of normalcy it was in before? I mean, yeah, someday, but definitely like being a, be, I'm not upset about the racing being canceled. I think that the racing being canceled should make the reality set in a little bit of that. This is a legitimate pandemic and like read less memes and read more research and current data on the disease. I mean, yeah, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And luckily we're doing a sport where it's not 
necessary to have a group of 50 people. Um, yeah, group rides are rad, but like as we're all practicing social distancing, you're not going to go do your 50 person group ride, but you can still ride alone. You know, you're not going to throw a football across a field and watch it hit the ground and run over there and pick it up and throw it back to the other side of the field. Like there's a lot of sports that you can't play without a group of people that are just going to be paused forever for the next eight weeks. Whereas like, at least we can still ride um, as safely as possible. That is one positive for cycling. Now, some people on other podcasts and other journalists have talked about the the sad coincidence that this this disease has hit the American shores, at least at this point in time when a lot of us are kind of emerging from hibernation. And as a coach, you've obviously guided athletes to this point in time from the last time, if they're a road racer that they raced back in August or September, if they were a cyclocross racer, the last time they raced was probably in December or January, but now they're like super eager to get back on it and super eager to get back at it. How are you kind of advising or recommending your clients approach their their training and i know that we're talking about training in the face of a pandemic but like maintaining a certain level of normalcy i think is important so how are you advising people on their on their training in, in general terms yeah that's a pretty good question we've, we've as a coach i'm basically shifting periodizations to looking at right now as september october taking the intensity down changing the ramp rates um, changing the chronic training loads to not taper in four or five weeks where a lot of people were going to taper or be racing or have an a race even we're now gonna not to do like a fall break or necessarily take weeks off at this point but i'll be the first one to say that i don't know when we're gonna race a lot of people that are trying to be positive and say eight weeks because that's what the cdc says i i think that that's i think it's gonna be a lot longer than that but we're basically, I'm just changing the periodization model for my athletes for when we think that, when we think we're going to race. Going back a little bit, because I just realized that there was a, a really kind of juicy topic that I don't know if people have thought about yet, you know, so like for Cliff Bar or for Butcher Box or for Automatic or for these larger professional teams that race in the American market, obviously having sponsors and partners is important have these organizations started to have this sort of come to terms conversation with their sponsors and their financial backers and say, listen, I know we had these deliverables that we really wanted to hit, but at this point in time, I don't know how we're going to do that. You know, how do we work with those requirements in the face of coronavirus? I think every team's different. I don't run Cliff Bar. Um, Dylan Seguin does an amazing job running the team. And we're definitely going to do a big focus on our sponsors and sort of we're not going to be able to deliver a lot of the content um, and deliverables in, in racing or in races in general. So we can still tell those stories. And again, we can still ride. And so we're going to do a big push just to show appreciation for our sponsors like Cliff Bar, obviously, Indie, Vinyl, Shimano, Capo, a lot of these sponsors deserve a story to be told, even if it's just to sort of keep a little bit of normalcy and sort of just show that we're still riding and appreciative of those sponsors. But every team's different. Some teams kind of just show the appreciation along the way, or they just sort of post everything or nothing all the time. I mean, I think every team's going to be different on how they deal with not racing. If you want to hear God laugh, talk about your plans. Many of us had laid out season-long goals and travel plans. Well, those are all but obliterated now. How you respond to that fact is absolutely your choice. This brings us to Chapter 3, Cyclist Interrupted. At last we spoke with our hero, Ali Sheehan. She was in the midst of a crit racing adventure in the Midwest. The summer having come and gone, she returned to the lush greenery of Somerset, England. Her time in America having had a positive impact on her, she decided to launch an even bigger, more grandiose adventure, which she came to call Allie's Adventure 2K20. Unfortunately, these plans came face to face with brush fires in Australia and now the coronavirus. But in true British fashion, Allie soldiered on. 
Adventure 2K20 was meant to start off with a bike adventure in Australia and New Zealand, which I executed pretty well. It was then going to be a couple months living at home and working, earning some more money before Ali's Adventures Part 2, um, which was going to be the American leg. But that one is looking a bit more tricky. <laughs> Your entire trip has looked gorgeous but also tricky you arrived in australia in time for bushfires you arrived back in england uh in time for coronavirus and it doesn't look like much is going to happen in the next couple of days have you had fun at least in the way that it worked with australia yeah i mean as you say um some parts weren't ideal i had to be a little bit adaptable but actually, I really enjoy the the challenge of travel. And it, it was good that some parts I was traveling on my own, some parts I was with friends at certain points. It was good that it gave me that kind of, I had to think a bit on my feet. I had to be adaptable. I think I made the best of every opportunity that I had to enjoy myself and see new things. You did get an opportunity to race at Heffron Park, which we've heard is legit fun racing. How did it go? I mean, I did not have fast legs. <laughs> I was racing on, on winter legs. I just viewed it as I wouldn't normally be racing at this time of year. It's a bonus. It's pretty sunny. And this is really fun. And one of the most special, I think, encounters that you had an opportunity to do on your travels had nothing to do with the bike. You got to go to Bondi Beach and learn how to surf. I did. Are, are you like the next surf sensation is Honolulu on your horizon? Mm, I think it's a no from me. <laughs> what was going to be the United States leg before it's been interrupted? So my thinking was um, that I was going to go Tulsa, um, Toad, and maybe Intelli and do that, that block of racing there. So I didn't do um, Tulsa last year and I didn't do Toad, but... Um, I've obviously got experience racing in telly before, and I think that would have stood me in good stead to to do well at both of those. You're at home now. You're you're in England. You're in in Worcester. In Worcester, yes. <laughs> What's it like there right now? I mean, we're obviously in the grips of coronavirus, and things are slowly shifting away from social distancing to more of a lockdown. What's going on there? In the UK at the moment, the, the boundaries kind of keep changing as to what we can and can't do. At the moment, we've been told restaurants and, and shops, they're not closed, but we've been discouraged to, to go to them. Social distancing is very much a thing. While people are kind of quietly going about their daily business, that things are quieter. And I think definitely in, in an area such as London, um, a proper lockdown might be coming in where, you know, you have proper curfews and moving about is, is a lot more difficult. As far as riding and training and just getting out, are you able to get out and do some riding these days? I've just been getting up early, if I'm honest, um, getting it in early in the day. Obviously, we do need to maintain a certain level of normalcy in our lives. Even at the most trying times, there are things that we all need, like social interaction, like this, this conversation, for example. Is there something that you're doing right now to kind of help mentally keep yourself positive and happy? I think it's about focusing on all the little things, putting things into perspective. Whilst bike racing is a massive part of my world and it, it can seem like bike racing is everything, in reality, it's not the be-all and the end-all. At the moment, you know, I have my health, my family have my have their health. We're all okay. And I, I think it's about looking at all of those positives and doing nice small things like baking cakes to make yourself happy and <laughs> feeding them to other people to make them happy. <laughs> One thing that we've talked since we've known each other is about the Great, great British Bake Off. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I did not know such a thing as a tear and share existed. Oh, a tear and share definitely exists. And I agree. What is your go-to tear and share? The food oh. that you would, but for right now, make for a group gathering for folks to come over and share? I mean, I don't know if it would be a tear as such, but I would normally do like a big cake or something 
or I mean, if it's, if it's like a christening or something like that and I have to bring a pudding as such, it would be a pavlova. Hey, what goes into that? So you make two kind of big meringues that are obviously crunchy on the outside and fluffy on the inside. I actually made this for the butcher box girls in the summer. So there's two layers of that. And then there's some kind of whipped double cream. There's normally some like fruit, some strawberries and blueberries. And then, and they're normally put in some kind of like elderflower cordial to make them more sweet and yummy. Yeah. Anything else that you want to put on it to make it look pretty and taste good, really. Your desserts are way better than the cupcakes and brownies that I ever make. There's just so much that goes into British dessert making. They're always cardamom or elderflower or something like that. That's got this, like you would never imagine it as part of a part of a a dish. It's amazing. I'm a big elderflower lover. (laughs) When you were in Australia and when you're riding in Australia, how did that compare to the riding that you would do back home or even the riding that you did in the United States? Well, start off with, compared to the UK, it was hot. It was very hot. <laughs> so I rode with Jen Darmody um, one day, and she's very much adapted to the, the hot weather. And we went out a bit later in the day, and by the end of our ride, it was about 37 degrees, as in UK. I don't know what that is. In- That's <laughs> we really hot. That's well over 100 degrees, probably, yeah. Fahrenheit. Yes. It was proper alley melty time. <laughs> yeah, see, that was a massive factor. The riding was good. The roads are way smoother than the UK because UK roads are rubbish. And the climbs were nice and kind of long and steady. And the scenery was very beige. Okay, because it's their summer and that's just the colors? Yeah, yeah. So it was nice because it was a different scenery, but it was very beige because I'm obviously used to the UK where you very much have set seasons. You go from autumn to winter to spring to summer and you see that kind of change. But I think it's, it's less so in Australia. Everything was very dry and very beige looking. <laughs> now, the important question for all of us is, did you get an opportunity to feed a koala I didn't even see one. What about any kangaroos? I saw lots of kangaroos. Kangaroos are dangerous. They'll just jump across the road when you're riding your bike and you're like, whoa, hello. <laughs> it's like, it's, it must be like deer. It is like deer, yes, yeah. Um, if you hit one of those, you're probably coming off worse. So what's your goal for this year? Let's say in an optimistic way, you get to a point maybe two months from now where the world returns to the same level of normalcy that it was before. You know, what, if any goals do you have for this year? Oh, that is a great question. I've actually got a call coming up with my coach to discuss the same thing. (laughs) Uh, Any previews for that conversation? One of my uh, kind of UK goals was something called the tour series. Um, they do criteriums at, at different city locations around the UK. That has been postponed at the moment. I don't know whether postponed means postponed or cancelled, but certainly if that pops back up onto the calendar, that's something I'd be be looking to do well in. Obviously, in terms of US racing, I really don't know if that's going to happen now because even travelling to the US could be tricky at the moment, <laughs> let alone, you know, racing. But I think we'll just have to take things as they come. And, you know, if everything is terrible up until the point of the normal end of the season, maybe I'll just have to become a cyclocross racer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with Tom Pitcock, I've heard it's become quite popular in England. Yeah, I'm not quite Tom, but I can give it a go. (laughs) Chapter four, Perspective. In this chapter, Carmichael Training Systems coach Adam Pulford provides a healthy dose of it. He and coaches like him are excellent resources at a time like this for practical advice on how to manage your fitness and your passion. Just remember, don't panic. What's happening to you is happening across the entire country and world right now. And also, your coach's phone is probably blowing up every day with calls from athletes who are trying to adjust to the new normal. So please be patient and breathe. 
It's it's not great. I mean, the racing is is canceled. Um, everybody's working from home and wondering what the world holds. And uh, but through it all, a lot of my athletes, you know, luckily are somewhat insulated because they are working from home. They're all healthy. They now have more time in their lives to sleep and train. Uh, however, the volatility of world markets and, uh, cultures and things like this, I mean, it's, it's not all roses and daffodils out there, Rob Kelly. The, uh, the TSS, if you could say for just life off the bike or life off the run or whatever it happens to be as an endurance athlete, how are you trying to measure just that volatility? Well, it's a tough one. And I, I like to call it LSS to my athletes, life stress score, if you will. And I, I do ask them, you know, how your, how's your life stress right now? And basically if they say high, low or medium, we then talk about that. Uh, how to manage it? Well, Training Peaks has yet to develop a wonderful chart for me to quantify it and then show all these fancy charts and graphs and trend lines. But uh, it, it's a lot of talking, you know, and, and that's what I would say I've been, you know, very busy with this week, which is why we haven't been able to cast until Thursday night is because I've just been on the phone a lot, you know, talking to my athletes and, and you know, helping to navigate through what the change of life, race schedules, job titles, and all this kind of stuff really, really means. As a coach, I've come to learn that a huge part of your job is to play psychologist, basically, for your athlete or therapist, whatever the word is that you like to use, and help them manage not just the training aspect of their life as an athlete, but also the emotional or mental side of it. What do you see as far as some of the big issues emotionally or mentally for people who are almost inherently type A people trying to push forward in their career as athletes all at the same time trying to be pragmatic about COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, I think as a coach, if you have any longevity, yeah, you do have to be cognizant and sensitive to being able to kind of be a therapist at times and a fellow coach of mine Jim Lehman always likes to say he he got his undergraduate degree in psychology and then his master's degree in sports uh, physiology but he uses his psychology degree much more and I, and I would say that that's that's pretty true in the in the world of endurance coaching because the communication and understanding of human beings is is something that is very pertinent to getting them to reach their, their full potential and performance as, as athletes during the COVID-19 stuff. I mean, it's, um, how to use that psychology. I mean, I, I think it comes down to, I don't know. I don't mean to downplay psychology or psychologists, but you just have to be human. You know, you just have to listen to them. And then you use your sports science to understand that, you know what, Generally speaking, the, the LSS of the world is pretty high right now. So what I've been doing with my athletes is bringing down the TSS or the training stress, meaning I'm, say if we're doing hard efforts or, you know, high intensity uh, if we, coming into a race season, I've now stripped that away and taking the approach of, you know, keep training, keep the habits going, keep the frequency of training going, but bring the intensity down to tempo or sweet spot or um, maybe a little bit of threshold work and overall that the perceived effort should be a little lower in, but we can still go fairly long. So medium intensity and medium duration, really. What's the overall plan? I mean, the hard part here is that nobody knows what's going to happen next. And this situation is evolving so rapidly and so uh, amazingly unprecedented that we just don't know where we're going to be in a week or two weeks or three weeks. You know, how do you keep a flexibility as a coach and keep a flexibility for your athletes? Yeah. Uh, no one knows where we're going right now. Yeah. Including my, (laughs) including myself, Rob Kelly. So with my approach with my athletes is we, we first, uh, maintain, and we do that by, like I said, taking down the intensity, keeping frequency and, and, uh, training the aerobic system. 
And so my plan is to take it truly week by week until we have a little bit more clarity in terms of where, where it's going. But I think what athletes need to realize is all the training impulses that we've put in over the past three, four months, you know, since the holidays, it's, it's all here and now. So a lot of my athletes are fit. That's a good thing. But just because we bring intensity down, we're not doing power intervals and sprint training, stuff like that. It doesn't go away by maintaining frequency of training and doing some, some what I call cost benefit training with tempo, uh, or medium level, medium intense aerobic effort is we actually maintain a lot of those systems, if not further deepen and develop the aerobic system, which I think for a lot of master's level racers, a lot of people out there in general could benefit from a lot because we, I would say for time crunched athletes, for people that are looking for extra time to, to, to train, they haven't developed a lot of their aerobic potential. And so we make up for it with threshold training and, and that's fine. That's a good bang for the buck too. But right now my approach in my communication to my athletes is we're, we're sitting in a good place with fitness and now we can deepen and broaden the aerobic base. And that's a good thing. So one of the things that if you follow the example of Italy or of France or even of China, where you have these cultures that have started to basically lock down, you've got people who are being sequestered to their houses except for emergency purposes. I wonder if that's something that we could even do here in the United States because it's kind of antithetical to our freedom loving nature Somebody tells you you can't do it. Americans kind of have a tendency of saying, no, I'm going to do it. But let's say that they can't. Let's say that the recommendation goes out there from the CDC. We all still want to be athletic. We all still want to be involved. But now it looks like we're going to have to get on the trainer. How do you tell human beings, athletes, the trainer's your place. We're going to have to make this interesting for the foreseeable future when the weather is becoming what we've all been dreaming and waiting for for the last four, five, six months. Well, first, uh, as you know, I do like to bring perspective uh, to things. And I have been telling my athletes and I will remind them that, hey, look, man, like there's a lot worse crap going on out there in life to other people rather than you just having to go inside and, and train on the trainer when it may be 70 degrees outside. Like people are losing jobs. People are losing a lot of money and people are losing lives. And so we're privileged to sit here and podcast about fitness and bike racing. And I'm privileged to have a job where I get to talk to my athletes about how we develop their performance and, and help them live their best life. So I don't, I, I don't overlook that aspect at the same time, I think it is important uh, for my athletes in particular and, you know, us living in this country to understand how privileged we are while taking, <laughs> taking the responsibility to not spread this disease more by getting selfish and doing our group rides just because it's the perfect weather out there and I want to do this and I'm entitled to this. That's a bunch of crap, you know? So it, it is, you know, for the greater good of society, for the greater good of humanity, let's chill out, put our selfish feelings at bay for a little bit and utilize the resources that we have around us because we live in a time where we can do virtual rides. Your wife, for example, just did her first race on Swift tonight, correct? She did. She did. And she absolutely crushed it. I think, I think she wants to upgrade to the uh, B and A categories, but you know, we're going to keep her right there where she is right now so that she can get a couple more wins in her, in uh, her, uh, sort of like going from a two to a one. You, you really should have a few wins before you upgrade. That's, it's very, very good advice there, Rob Kelly. Meanwhile, my, my wife, for example, uh, also known as Dakota Palomino, uh, has been crushing it on her kicker and uh, being inside. Right now, she's out uh, doing some hot laps at, at uh, Haynes Point. However, back to your point, where it is utilizing the resources around us, I, I think we should definitely do it. And I think you asked the question, 
like in Italy and France right now, people are being, you know, quarantined, not being able to, even, you know, go outside and ride their bike. Well, it's somewhat happening in San Francisco. I don't know all the all the details, but I was talking to a friend, Corinne Malcolm, who's a CTS coach uh, and ultra runner, and they have they have uh, bands of some kind. Uh, what is it self or um, stationary quarantine or self quarantine? Something like this, where I mean, they truly can't go out into the streets except for the the bare essentials and exercise, and they can do um, a, a little bit at a time. I, I don't understand the full. Uh, ramifications of it, but it is starting to happen in um, in cities in the United States, and I think I think we'll see more of it. Do you feel that exercise? And this is probably a question I should have led with rather than concluding with. But do you think that exercise is something that is good for preserving a sense of normalcy and preserving a level of of stress relief, or just? mental stability for people who are, for all intents and purposes, athletes, endurance athletes, people who are addicted to the concept of exercise, even in this time? Yeah, I think it's the best thing and for two reasons. One, I th- when, we, when I look at athletes, when I look at humans, all we are is a bundle of the habits that we continually do. And so when you take somebody that has strong habits of exercising and have set up their life around uh, training and racing and, uh, again, kind of getting the most, uh, their type A uh, lifestyle, right? When you change that drastically, that changes the psychology quite a bit and changes their, their, uh, their health and wellness, their mental health. And what you, my approach with my athletes is to keep things as consistent as possible so that their life is as stable as possible. So their LSS is as low as possible in order to live their best life and uh, keep training so that we can then race um, to the best of our abilities later on because it'll come back around. All this will, will go away. But I think that the, the important thing with training and to understand is especially endurance athletics is, number one, based on my understanding of what I read on the CDC, uh, this thing doesn't really do well in UV light. So being outside is the best place to be. Uh, now that to go and say that if it's a high concentration of people, the virus can live on surfaces for a while, but in UV light, it doesn't do so well and it's gone soon. So you want to get outside, you want to breathe fresh air, you want to get the vitamin D, you want to have all the benefits of exercise and all the endorphins. Meanwhile, training inside and exercising that keeps in the in what I talked about before in terms of the best bang for the buck, medium intensity and medium duration. Training in that way gives you those endorphins, gives you the benefits of, of training without compromising your immune system. So again, exercising and being outside and sleeping and washing your hands is probably the best advice that you can give to, to anybody right now, athletes, non-athletes. And finally, what I'll say is, Training and living an athlete lifestyle provides structure to people's lives. And I do think that, especially for the more type A people, I would even argue the artistic people, and sometimes myself included, who need structure in life, it is a very good additive to help us carry on with our lives during times of high LSS and to get the most out of the day. Thanks for listening to another episode of No Training Wheels. If you want more information about the guests on this episode, check out the show notes. We truly are living in interesting times. We should all be doing everything we can to slow the transmission of the coronavirus. But most of all, let's just be human. Pick up the phone and call or FaceTime friends and family just to say hi. In the meantime, please do like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And while you're here, check out the other great shows available on the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. If you want more content, follow us on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod or on Twitter at NT Wheels Pod. And your home for the best in American road racing is NoTrainingWheelsPod.com. Until next time, we'll see you out on MacArthur Boulevard or Zwift. <laughs>